Chapter thirty six of Workers Together. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Workers Together or an Endless Chain by Pansy. Chapter thirty six. Another Link. And this was the apparent result of the effort which had lain so heavily on Robert Parks's heart. He was bitterly disappointed. It had seemed to him so entirely reasonable that one who had passed through Fred Briggs's experiences should be roused to thought and action. To have his earnest words passed over with a spirit born half of fun and half of listlessness seemed to him more discouraging than even an outspoken rebuff. I don't understand how to work, he told himself sadly. Evidently I don't know how to say the right thing. If I could ever hope to have influence over any person, it might be supposed to be Fred Briggs after what has passed, and yet my words have been worse than useless. Two days afterwards he overheard that which confirmed him in the belief that he was a bungler at his master's work. A business matter having called him in that direction during the morning, he looked in on Fred to see that all was well entering according to his custom since the invalid had been judged well enough to be left alone some of the time without knocking and on tiptoe lest he might disturb a nap he found mrs saunders beating up pillows and mattress in a way unknown to the best hired servant of them all and joy in the act of bringing a fresh handkerchief to the invalid in the large chair on the handkerchief she had laid a tiny bouquet of freshly blossomed pansies in all the glory and variety of their wonderful dress. If I knew of some way to show my gratitude for all your kindness and thoughtfulness, I would be glad. Fred was speaking in a low, grateful tone. Joy had a ready answer, also spoken low. I know a way. Will you do it? I surely will, if it is in my power. Instantly there lay beside the pansies a small open testament in clear print, with a heavy line drawn in blue ink around several verses. Read those marked verses a good many times today, and ask Christ to tell you what they mean. I will keep my promise, he said, and his voice was grave and earnest. All this Robert Parks both saw and heard while he seemed to listen to Mrs. Saunders, for the talk, though an aside, was not a secret one. Joy had not the air of saying what was not for any to hear who chose. And compel them to come in. These were the Bible verses which came to the listener. Joy Saunders seemed to him to be that kind of a servant. He could invite those who, with one consent, made excuse, but she could sweetly compel them in, that the house might be full. He went away both saddened and gladdened. The subdued tones of Fred Briggs's voice, the look in his eyes, and the positive nature of the promise, made him believe that fruit would come. At that he could rejoice. The sigh was for himself that he was an unprofitable servant. I can tell you something that Robert Parks does not know. All night the young man, Fred Briggs, had tossed on an uneasy pillow, his dreams as well as his waking thoughts being busy with the fact that he was poorly requiting such loving care as had been given him. Why should he not give this question attention now, if for no other reason than to show his gratitude, since this would evidently please them all, even Parks, 
whom he had not supposed cared much. And then his mind went over certain words spoken to him by Robert in the morning, and he could but feel their force. They shone anew in the light of marked verses which had been read often enough to fix them in his memory. Thus it came to pass that Joy Saunders's marked verses were seeds dropped into prepared ground, and the instrument used of God for preparing the soil was Robert Parks. He may never know it here, but he is part of the chain woven of God for the purpose of saving Fred Briggs, and there will come a time when he will feel the joy of it. Still, you are not to suppose that the fruit appeared at once. Some seeds take long to grow. Even after the ground has been prepared and they are planted, other influences known to God must be set at work to develop them. He was watching over Fred Briggs, though none as yet saw results. Very slowly, as it seemed to the impatient invalid, he crept back to life and strength. It was a gala day with him when he was established in the sunset room, making an all-day visit, enjoying all the pretty and thoughtful little attentions which people of refined taste and refined hearts know how to bestow. The homesick boy leaned back in the easy chair and reveled in the atmosphere of home from which he had been so long shut out. Is it wonderful that so many of our city boys go astray? There are no homes for them. Perhaps the fact that it was Sunday added pleasure to the visit. Sundays had long been such unutterably dreary days to Fred Briggs. He had just enough conscience left to hold him away from places where many others went, and to people his loneliness with misery. The sunset room was not, as a rule, open to outsiders on Sunday but Fred had been transported bodily from his den to Mrs. Saunders' boarding-house the afternoon before. Of course Joy was there. Bright as the sunset room was, there would have seemed a shadow resting over the Sabbath afternoon if she had not been present. It was the custom of the house to invite unoccupied boarders to this room for an hour on Sabbath afternoon. It was not a religious meeting, though they sang a hymn or two, and in the course of conversation several Bible verses were apt to be repeated. That is what it really was, a conversation on religious topics, yet intensely practical topics. We are practical people, would Mrs. Saunders say. Every boarder in the house belongs to the workers, and if we don't have a religion that will help our everyday lives, what is it good for, since we have nothing but everyday lives? She was always present at these afternoon talks. If you knew Mrs. Saunders well, I should not need to tell you that she was quite apt to make one of a circle which included joy, especially when that circle was largely composed of young men. On one occasion she tried to apologize to the doctor for this peculiarity. It isn't that I cannot trust my joy with you, doctor. For the matter of that, I can trust her anywhere with herself but young men of a certain age are so liable to be silly, talking about rosebuds and fairies and all that sort of trash. I've heard them. Joy can't stand that kind of stuff. And you know I mustn't make too much difference between the way I treat you and the way I treat other folks. So you must just excuse me and let me look after my one chicken in my own fashion. She had been much pleased with the doctor's answer. 
Mrs. Saunders, I hope you will never consider it your duty to apologize to me for being one of the most sensible mothers in my list of acquaintances. I wish the world were full of mothers who held your ideas. It would be a better world. After that, Mrs. Saunders was heard to say that Dr. Everett had more sense in his little finger than most men had in their whole bodies. So mother and doctor went their ways, mutually pleased, and the pretty room gave out more and more of its sunshine to the homeless ones of the house. On this particular afternoon, Joy came into the room just as Robert Parks had settled himself back with the air which he used when he felt that he was making an unanswerable remark, and said, Well, all I have to say is that nobody does it. Does what? said Joy. A question of this sort is very apt to have a calming effect in certain styles of argument. To be obliged to pause and think over one's position, so as to state it clearly to a newcomer, either tones down the speaker or exasperates him, according to the manner of person he chances to be. Robert modulated his voice and tried to answer clearly. Why, we were discussing the propriety or the advisability of conversing freely together about religion, just as we would talk of the news of the day, or of business, or of the weather. What I say is that it isn't done. Religion is kept at one side. Nobody hears much about it unless he goes to prayer meeting or meets a minister. For the matter of that, I have met a dozen of them since I have been in the city, and not one has spoken a word to me about religion. The best people, even, don't do it. Well, do you mean to join the rank and file? It was Dr. Everett who spoke, so quietly, looking meantime at the flowers on the table, in a dreamy, almost an abstracted way, as if nothing was farther from his thoughts or desires than an argument, that Robert felt himself puzzled. Just what did the question mean? Sir? he said inquiringly. I say, do you mean to belong to that large class of people who evidently do not meet your ideas of right in this matter? or are you going to throw your influence on the other side? If the doctor had chosen to argue, he would have found Robert somewhat prepared. But to produce a personality instead of an argument, and sit quietly awaiting an answer, was embarrassing, the more so that Fred Briggs laughed. Not that he had any desire to add to the embarrassment, but simply because a question which seemed to corner any person was sure to afford him amusement. Well, said Robert, after a moment's thoughtful pause, I don't believe it ought to be expected of me to take the lead in society, among Christians of long experience, on this subject or any other. I don't know about that conclusion, the doctor replied meditatively, apparently still giving part of his attention to the flowers. I should say that depended on whether society met the demands of your conscience. If it does not, Assuredly the Lord expects you to step out from it, even if by so doing you appear to be taking the lead. No one seemed to have a reply to make to this statement, so the doctor enlarged upon it. The fact is that to sit in a pleasant room among one's friends and discuss the inconsistencies of Christians is one thing, and to go out into the world in the thick of the fight and live consistently is quite another. We all need to remember that. I have heard Fred here twice this afternoon, 
make remarks which showed that he considers Mr. Templeton and Judge Bartlett rather, well, we will put it mildly, and say inconsistent. Yet it does not seem to have occurred to him that in condemning them he condemns himself. This brought the invalid from the couch, where he had been half reclining, to a sitting posture, and his manner was full of surprise. How in the world do you make that out? I'm sure I make no professions of any sort, and never have. Ah, then I understand your position to be, that because these gentlemen are trying for the mark, and are doing it poorly, they are inconsistent, and because you are not trying at all, and never have been, you are therefore all right? This was so manifestly absurd that Fred lay back among the cushions and laughed, and the doctor turned to Robert. End of chapter 36 Recording by Tricia G.